Hello, everyone. My name is Byron Howell, and this is the Byron Howell Ministries podcast. Thank you very much for joining me today. I know it's been a while since we've talked. Uh, I hope you had a wonderful summer. I hope everything's going well uh, with you and yours in this September, kids back to school, all of that. And uh, and I just hope everything's going well. And let me say before we, we move on that if um, you ever want to talk about anything, especially anything spiritual, you ever have any biblical questions, or you ever want to pray about anything, want some prayer, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out, and, and I would be happy to do that. Um, you know, the other day I was I was having a conversation with a friend, and we were touching on a variety of issues, but we briefly talked about uh, tithing, and and I thought about a teaching I had done a while ago, and and I realized that I didn't actually have this teaching on tithing. In my podcast, I, I had done it as part of a church's Wednesday night Bible study, so I didn't really have this full teaching on my podcast, but I, I really think it's worth doing, and I want to share this with you. And let's just, let's just, you know, we want to, we want to be real here, for lack of a better express, for lack of a better expression. We want to be real. We want to tell it like it is. We want to discuss, you know, all the different sides of an issue because because first of all we want to know what's right we we want to know the right thing to do in our lives with God we want to understand what the bible clearly says and also you know in, in certain areas especially financial areas and financial teachings you know there's a lot of confusion out there and there's a lot of different teachings and uh, certain biblical teachings have been used to take advantage of people is very true in the in the financial world or excuse me in the financial realm I should say and we really want to know exactly what the bible does say so we you know so we can learn exactly what god wants for our lives so i'm going to tell you a little bit today about about my own personal story with tithing but but perhaps more importantly we're going to take a hard look at what the Bible really does say about tithing. We're not going to look at every verse. We're going to look at a few verses that I've chosen that I think are are the most valuable verses for a Christian to look at when we consider the tithe. And let's start by acknowledging that most churches teach that tithing is the right thing for you to do. Now, in case you don't know, tithing is giving 10% of your income to a church or Christian ministry. Now, even that, you know, rather simple sentence right there is loaded with, you know, maybe my own beliefs or what I've been taught. You know, some people say you should give your money to where you're getting spiritually fed. Some people say, you know, you should only tithe to your local church. Uh, then other people say, you know, it doesn't have to be 10%. It can be some other per percent. There's all sorts of, you know, different things about tithing. But we want to try to cut through all of that. And we want to try to really understand, you know, what the Bible says. You know, I grew up you know, hearing my dad talk about tithing and knowing that he was a tither. And we also were in church, you know, all the time. And I'm pretty sure every church I've ever been to has taught that tithing is the right thing to do. But interestingly enough, I've never, not one time from anybody, 
heard what I'm going to talk about today uh, regarding tithing. And, um, and maybe, you know, maybe that should scare us all just a little bit, just as we get going. But let me say, no matter where you are with tithing, whether you're a committed tither, where you don't, whether you don't believe in tithing or, or whatever it might be, or, or if you don't know anything about tithing, I actually think that, that today's teaching is going to bless you that, you know, some of these ideas and verses that we talk about, this is really going to interest you. And I will just say, uh, just so you know, there are some long passages we're going to read here. A lot of times when I do a teaching, especially if it's going to be live, I try to take a verse and really chop it down to just the key points. I don't think we're going to be able to do that today. I'm going to do my best in a couple of these passages, but uh, there's a couple of long readings. But but I also want to say that uh, I definitely think this is worth your time. I think what we're going to look at today is very, very interesting. And and honestly, it's really going to bless you. And and if especially, you know, if you have been a committed tither, you're probably not a committed tither for the reasons that I'm going to talk about today. And and so what we talk about today is only it's really going to bless you because I, I think it's only going to add to your appreciation of the tithe. It's going to give you more, um, you know, kind of ammunition or support for your beliefs and practices in connection with tithing. And so anyway, I suppose that's enough of an introduction. And, and you know, so I just think I think this is a very valuable teaching. And I think we're going to see a few fascinating points out of the word of God. And let me just briefly tell you a quick story. I remember one day I was in Botswana, just me and my wife, and we were on, you know, a really cool safari trip. And, um, you know, not that you care, but, you know, God spoke to me multiple times, you know, go to Africa, go to Africa. And I just, you know, how, how could we, we were young, we didn't really have any money. And, you know, God supernaturally provided for us to, to take two trips to Africa. So one day we're in Botswana, it's the middle of the day and it's it's incredibly hot. And, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, everybody at the lodge, they'll go take a nap or jump in the pool or something like that. And and I would have, you know, gone taking a nap or something. But I just had this incredible sense that God wanted to speak to me about something. So so I was praying and I was trying to listen and I'm walking around and, and I sit on this bench and I just, you know, the word isn't visitation. I guess I had like a vision or something. And, and, and what I saw, it was like I saw a person who I knew was a tither. And I saw that they had this, this connection, this special connection to God. And, and while I'm seeing this vision, I heard my father's voice saying something that, that he often says. And he, what, it, what he says is this. If you had any idea, you would run to tithe. You see, and so what was happening in that moment was, see, I was already a committed tither at that point. But God was drawing my attention to the tithe. And God was saying, you know, Byron, there are things you don't understand about the tithe. You know, maybe maybe he was saying that he's glad that I tithe, but no matter what, he was pointing me to the tithe and telling me that I needed to study it for myself. I needed to understand it to make sure that, you know, that I'm really operating in this principle correctly. 
and getting what I should get out of the tithe. Um, and I hope that last phrase doesn't offend anybody, but as we'll see, you know, uh, there, there are significant benefits that come with tithing. So because of that, you know, I felt like, all right, Lord, message received. Um, you know, this is like 15 years ago or something. It was a very powerful moment for me there. And I thought, oh man, you know, this is awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to study tithing like I've never studied it before. And, you know, in the same way I've done with many other subjects, I'm not just going to take what else, you know, what everybody else tells me for granted. I'm going to, I'm going to study this out for myself. So where we're going to start today is Genesis 14. And, and so I need to start with one point first. You see, you see, there are a lot of practices in the Jewish law, all sorts of dietary practices, all sorts of cleanliness practices. I mean, you, you, you name it. They've, they've got laws covering everything. And, and so now we as Christians, we say, well, oh, we're not subject to those because we're no longer under the law. And we'll look at that in a little more detail in a few minutes. But but it doesn't mean that every single thing mentioned in the Jewish law is a bad idea. There's certainly a lot of good principles that are in the Jewish law that we can apply to our lives. But there are a couple of practices that are discussed in detail in the Jewish law that actually do not originate in the Jewish law. Very interesting concept. But the two that come to mind are both the Sabbath and tithing. Both the practice of the Sabbath and the practice of tithing were created or originated you know, long before God ever gave the Jewish law to Moses. And so we have zero legal obligation to, uh, to honor the Sabbath or to tithe because of the Jewish law. However, when we look, you know, in the book of Genesis, for example, and elsewhere, we can see that, wow, both the Sabbath and tithing are, in fact, pre-law practices that God honors greatly long, you know, centuries before the Jewish law was ever created, ever handed down by God. So there's there might be something to both of those practices that, that we should really think about that may, in fact, still have, you know, blessings and be a good thing for Christians to do today. So with that in mind, you know, we, we won't talk about the Sabbath uh, in any detail today, but we will talk about the tithe. And so I want to start with the very first time we see the concept of tithing in the Bible. Now, now, let me just say, even as I said that, yes, I know that some people believe there are other instances of the tithe. Some people teach that uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in fact a tithe. But, you know, while all of that may be true, we're going to try to keep it simple and we're going to look at the first time the Bible very clearly and specifically mentions the practice of tithing. So that comes to us in Genesis chapter 14. Now, this is a rather long story, so just bear with me. It's a fascinating story, and I, I can pretty much guarantee you I'm going to tell you a couple of things about this story that you've never heard before. And uh, very, very interesting things. 
And and so uh, so just bear with me. I'm going to try to chop it down just a little bit, but we can only do so much. So this is Genesis chapter 14. And it came to pass in the days of King A of Shinar. I'm not going to pronounce all these names. And King A of Elisar and King C of Elam and King T of Nations that they made war. So you had those four kings. They made war with King B of Sodom, King B of Gomorrah, King S of Adma, King S of Zeboim, and the King of Bala. So we have four kings on the one side and five on the other. All these joined together in the valley of Sidim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served King C, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, King C and the kings that were with him came and attacked a variety of groups. And they went uh, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. So you have this big war between nine kings. Then they turned back and came to En Misfat, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who dwelt in Hazizon tomorrow. And, And so just to continue painting the picture here, what we have is like a world war for this region. Okay, all of these kings are fighting. They're all attack- attacking each other. So we continue. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Sidim against the other four kings. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. So, we have the four kings against the five. We have a massive battle. The kings of Sodom and Gomorrah get routed. They lose big time. And Lot, who lived in Sodom, gets taken as prisoner. So let's keep going. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eskel and brother of Aner. These were Abram's friends. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, calls him his brother, but it's talking about Lot. Now, when Abram had heard that Lot was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods, and he also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. Let's stop there for a moment, okay? Because just right there, this is a super fascinating story. Remember, so so Abram lives in this land, and he's sojourning in this land because God told him to go out there. 
Now, the Bible talks about how Abram's wealthy and he has flocks and he has servants. So we see now that he has at least, you know, hundreds of servants. We have 318 trained servants. Those are probably all the men of fighting age. So, but we have this giant conflict in the region, undoubtedly thousands and thousands of people. And some kings defeat some other kings. So Abram, who, as far as we know, has no military experience whatsoever, right, takes every, all of the men, of, you know, all of his fighting men, and he goes and fights the kings that just routed all the other kings. All right, that's, that's what's going on here. It's like, imagine, you know, the United States wins World War II, and now there's this small group of people that's going to come and attack the United States, and they win. You see, that's effectively what's happening in this story. So he, he recovers all the goods, and he recovers all the people. So we can conclude that Abram went up against the strongest leaders of that region and routed them and took everything. So, so I, you know, that alone is, is the starting point for this story. So, so now what we could very reasonably conclude, because Abram, Abram is now the top dog in the region. All of these kings, Abram defeated everybody. Okay. So, so, that is really the core idea that we want to start with, that, that all of these kings are fighting. Abram defeats them all, the strongest kings of the region. So now effectively, Abram, who who is never called a king, he's not thought of as a king, but he's the top dog in the region. So now it, we go on, we continue. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of King C and the kings who were with him. So the Bible says specifically, Abram defeated all these kings. Now we're going to meet a new king. I quote, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him. And said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he gave him a tithe of all. Period. End quote. So, so let's just, let's just, we gotta, we gotta talk through this. Okay. That's the, that's how we're gonna get it. So Abram is now the, top dog over a minimum of nine other kings. I mean, how many kings could there possibly be in this region? I don't know. Abram comes back after a complete victory, all right? And now another king shows up. And this man is named Melchizedek. Now, he's the king of Salem, and he's also the priest of the Most High God. Now, we don't need to get too deep on Melchizedek for today. This is, we're talking about tithing today. But see, notice that, that this is another king, but he's not like the other kings because he's also priest of the Most High God. And now we just read it in English and we say, God Most High. And we, we say, oh, yeah, okay, great. 
he's he's God's priest. But that's not what it was like for Abram. See, remember, it is very possible that Abram didn't know another person on the planet that served the same God he did. We have no reason to believe that in this period of time, God had a relationship with anybody other than Abram, Sarah, and perhaps others in Abram's house. Because we do see God honoring uh, Abram's servant. I believe his name is Eleazar. Anyway, not important. The, what is important is all of a sudden, God, Abram comes back from this victory and meets who uh, meets another king who is possibly the only other person on the planet that has a direct relationship with God. Now, that is fascinating. Furthermore, he's, he introduces himself as priest of God Most High. Now, again, we read this in English and we don't think anything of it, right? But in the Hebrew, it's actually El Elyon. Now, that is a name that you may have heard before, but in the Bible, we've never heard it before. It is That is one of God's names, El Elyon, or God, the Most High God. But this is the very first time that that name is actually used in Scripture. And we also have to recognize that Abram had most likely, and I'm not trying to be offensive towards Father Abraham here, but he actually had a very limited understanding of God. He's heard God speak. He's heard God give him some directions. But even this is relatively early on in Abram's story. And so what we, you know, it's not like Abram had the Bible. He doesn't know a whole lot about God, and there have not been a lot of communications between Abram and God. But anyway, I'm digressing a little bit, but it's worth keeping in mind because nobody else told God, or excuse me, nobody else told Abram that God was actually El Elyon, the Most High God, until Melchizedek. So Melchizedek shows up, says, hi, I'm the king of Salem, and I'm the priest of El Elyon. And then he blesses Abram. Listen to what he says. Blessed be Abram of El Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be El Elyon, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now, now look, we read this and it might be an interesting story. But if we can take a moment and look at this from Abram's perspective... I think we will really see how powerful this is. You see, Melchizedek is telling Abram that that this God that Abram's been talking to, that Abram's been obeying, that Abram's been, been following and trusting, is in fact El Elyon, the Most High God. And in fact, he is the possessor of heaven and earth. And in fact, it was he who has caused Abram to defeat all of these other kings. And so what is the first thing Abram does? It says, and he gave him a tithe of all. All right, so let's stop there and let's think about that. See, now, now we grow up in church. We grow up hearing from an early age that you should tithe and we're going to pass around the plate. Put your tithes in. And so we read this scripture 
and we see Abram tithe and we think, oh, well, you know, I guess that, that kind of makes sense, right? Of, of course he would. You know, he just gained all this spoil. He just had this big battle. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Why not give him the tithe? We give our tithes just like Father Abraham. But, but you see, if we look at it from Abram's perspective, if we look at it from a biblical perspective, we have no explanation for why he would give Melchizedek a tithe. Why on earth would he just say, ah, you know what? It's so nice to meet you. I'm so so glad to meet somebody else that actually worships the same God I do. Let me just give you a tenth of everything. You see, we have no explanation for why he did that. So, so that was certainly an area that I began to study. And what I found was in fact, that the tithe or the tenth was the customary tax to the king. And and even in, you know, cultures completely unrelated to Abraham, to, to the Jews, that the tithe was the customary tax to the king. Now, when I say that, it, immediately you might say, well, Byron, who cares? That's a cultural thing. That doesn't really... Um, you know, matter for my own understanding of the tithe. And I, and I get that, right? But but I would say that that very well, that that historical discussion of the tithe being the king's tax actually fits in perfectly with this story. Remember, Abram has just defeated all these other kings. And boom, now we have another king, Melchizedek, show up and Abram gives him the tithe. You see, when Abram gives Melchizedek the tithe, even though Abram is clearly the top military power in the region, even though he's clearly the top dog, and and if he's got all of these possessions now, he's, he's probably, it's, it's not a stretch at all to say he is by far the wealthiest ruler in the region now as well. But he immediately submits himself to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, as if, as if to say, you know what, I'm not going to take this position of king of my own life. I'm not going to be my own king. I am going to submit to you as the king of my life. And when he's submitting that, when he's making that tithe to Melchizedek, he knows that he's actually making that tithe directly to God. Now, before we move on, uh, I just want to show you briefly, because I said, you know, maybe I maybe what you're saying right now, well, the fact that that's the tax to the king, you know, you don't have any biblical information on that. That's just that's just cultural. And maybe that doesn't really matter. So that's what I went through. And I said, you know, God, God, show me that in the word. Right? I want to see the relationship between the tithe being the king's tax in the word. And I found it. Praise the Lord. He showed it to me. This is 1 Samuel 8, 10 through 17. And remember, the Israelite people came to Samuel, who uh, the Israelites were really ruled by judges at that time. The Israelites came. They said, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. Give us a king. So, And I pick it up. First Samuel 8, verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots 
and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage or your wine and give it to officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. Now, I get it. That might not be the verse that really brings this whole thing home for you. But but nevertheless, it is biblical confirmation that the tithe represents a customary tax to the king. And you see, this is the key point that that God stressed to me when I began studying the tithe. And let me just say, no, I don't believe there is any legal requirement for a Christian or anyone else to tithe. Okay, but why do we tithe and what does the tithe Apart from the Jewish law, what does the tithe say? What does the tithe tithe do or why do we tithe? When we tithe, we establish that God, El Elyon, is the king of our lives. We are submitting to him as the king of our lives. And specifically, we are also identifying all of our financial lives, all of our physical lives, everything under his rulership as our king. Now, let me just read you a little bit more of the story uh, just because it's super interesting. So remember, the last thing we read was Abram. It says, and he gave him a tithe of all. Now, let's keep going. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. So listen to what Abram says. Okay, he says, he says, I have lifted my hand to the Lord. God Most High. That in the Hebrew is Jehovah El Elyon. Abraham now fully understands that this God that he's been talking to, that he's been uh, listening to and obeying, Jehovah, is in fact El Elyon. And then he goes on to say, the possessor of heaven and earth. You see, this whole this whole interaction with Melchizedek, with the battle, it was in in many ways, revealing to Abraham, you know, another dimension of God, that in fact, he is God most high, that in fact, he is possessor of heaven and earth, and he can cause Abram to triumph no matter what is going on or what has come against him. Now, let's go to the very next chapter, Exodus, excuse me, Exodus, Genesis 15. Now, this is the very first thing that God says to Abram after Abraham, excuse me, after Abram, you know, he becomes Abraham, but he's still Abram at this time. 
This is the very first thing God says to Abram after he tithes. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That is God honoring Abram, honoring the tithe, and honoring who, who got Abram's positioning him as his king. You see, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I will protect you. I will provide for you. You see, that's what's really going on here. That's what the tithe is all about, really. It's, it's about identifying our finances with God. It's about submitting our lives to God. And it's about positioning God as the king uh, in every area of our lives, natural lives. Now, now let's go on. And, um, and I'm going to show you another really, really fascinating passage about tithing. And... Um, and I just think this is going to bless you, especially as you, as you, you know, you're on your own financial journey. Now, this is uh, Jacob. So, so remember, Abram, Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob and Esau, and Jacob uh, went out and worked for Laban. And, um, you know, a lot of things happened to Jacob there, but that's where he met Rachel and Leah and, and so forth. So this is the story. This is part of Jacob's story. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set upon the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome in this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of that city had been loose previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that if I can come back to my father's house in peace, we do see here, just this is a, a parenthetical, protection and provision. If God will be with me, if God will protect me, and if God will provide for me, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. This is a fascinating story uh, for, I mean, lots and lots of reasons. 
But it's also fascinating because this is where Jacob commits to tithing. Okay. And, and it, it is interesting that, you know, maybe, maybe this practice wasn't really passed down from Abram to Isaac to Jacob in the same way that, that we pass it on to our children in, in Sunday school or in church where the plate goes around every single week. They didn't have anything like that back then. But one way or another, Jacob has this encounter with God. And Jacob says, I will give you the tithe. I will give you the tenth. Now, so time goes by. Uh, and it eventually it becomes time for Jacob to leave Laban's house. And so Jacob uh, has another encounter with God. And Jacob uh, tells his wives, Leah and Rachel, about it. Excuse me if that was a little unclear, but nevertheless, we're now into Genesis 31, 3, 3 through 13, and we're going to hear Jacob uh, talk a little bit about that first encounter he had with God. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it's not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might, I have served your father, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages 10 times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. And if he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streaks shall be your wages, and all the flocks bore streaked. So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks were conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. Then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. You see, maybe it doesn't jump right out to us. But what we see here is very similar to what we see in Genesis 14. In Genesis 14, Abraham lifts his hand to Jehovah El Elyon, gives him the tithe, and, and, and essentially swears his allegiance to him. Even though Abram could have been the king, could have been the king of that whole region, he says, no, God, you are my king. You are my king. I submit to you. And then God shows up and says, don't be afraid. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. In the same way, you know, years and years later, Jacob commits the tenth to God, commits the tithe to God, decides to trust God for protection and provision. And then what does God do? God completely honors that vow, completely honors that decision by by Jacob, where he says, I am the God of Bethel, exactly like Jacob had said. He said, where you anointed the pillar and where you vowed the vow, 
Now arise and return to your family. That's exactly what Jacob had wanted from God. And God was there. God honored that commitment. God honored this commitment to tithe. And, and God was going to do for Jacob all that he had he had promised to do. You see, you, you see, when we go to church now and we hear the pastor say, you know, bring your tithe, bring your tithe, your tithe belongs here, right? The truth is we don't really get a very clear picture of the tithe. And, and let's talk about Malachi chapter three. This is, I mean, gotta be by far the most famous or at least the most often quoted uh, verse about tithing. So this is Malachi three, eight through 12. And if you've been to church more than a couple of times, you've probably heard this one. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. You see, that's the that's the tithing passage that gets people to pull their wallets out, you know, for lack of a, a better way to say it, maybe. But that's the one that people worried about. People say, oh, you had car trouble. Oh, you had business trouble. Oh, you had whatever kind of problem. Well, that's the devourer. You're cursed. Your money's cursed. Are you not tithing? You're cursed with a curse. And then, you know, they'll basically use a completely legalistic discussion or framework to talk about the tithe when they say, look, you are supposed to be bringing your tent. And if you don't, you are robbing God and you are cursed. You see, that was true for people under the Jewish law. For people under the Jewish law, remember, you know, Deuteronomy, I believe it's 28 is, is a good example, but it's throughout Deuteronomy. If you don't obey the Jewish law, you are cursed. And there are all sorts of negative outworkings of that curse that are going to come upon you. And Malachi, that that's what this is talking about. That's what Malachi is talking about. You don't you don't bring the tithe that the law commands. You better believe you're cursed. But if you do bring the tithe that the law commands, yeah, you're going to see a blessing. And again, go back to Deuteronomy. You know, all those blessings that people love to quote, blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed in the city, blessed in the field, so on and so forth. You see, all of those blessings were specifically dependent on your obeying the law. And see, now here's the problem. A lot of churches, and this is just isn't confined to the subject of tithing, they're they're telling people that you have to do X, Y, and Z under the law, or you are cursed, or uh, you know you're robbing God, or you're doing this, you're doing that, and you're and God is going to punish you, right? Well, unfortunately, you know that's wrong. Now I say unfortunately because it's wrong teaching. 
But fortunately, it's wrong because praise God, we are no longer under the law. We are no longer subject to its commands. And, you know, we are completely and totally freed. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. And we're not subject to those. And, and you know, whether or not, you know, we obey the law, it has, there is no curse for us. We're not going to get cursed if we disobey the law. Now, look, uh, anybody who knows me, I would never, ever advocate sin. In fact, the happiest possible existence you can ever have is one where you live in holiness and consecration to the Lord. Your best possible life is a life where you walk in love to God and to your fellow man, as the Bible teaches us to do. And, and you just completely you know, live holy and consecrated to the Lord. And that's not like some weird thing, like out, you know, monk in a monastery or something like that. That's not what I'm talking about. But but what I am telling you is your best possible life is, is a life of holiness. But let's get back to this idea of, of the curse and the law. Listen to what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. In him, it means in Christ, you are also circumcised and the circumcision with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you are also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. My fellow Christian, you are no longer subject to the Jewish law. You are not under a curse if you don't tithe. You are not under a curse if you don't uh, obey the Jewish law. Look at Ephesians 1, 3, just to kind of round this out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You see, when you become a Christian, you receive every blessing that God can give you. He gave them all to Christ. You are in Christ, and they are all applicable to you now. Furthermore, in the same way Christ could never be cursed, you could never be cursed. There is no curse for you. There is no law for you, no Jewish law. We still obviously have correct, uh, uh, directions and commandments from the Father. We have general commandments, love God, love our neighbor. And then as we go through our lives, we get specific directions from God. Praise the Lord. They're wonderful. But, but the point is, is that the paradigm of blessings and cursings no longer applies to you whether you obey the law or not. That is not a part of your life. That is not a part of your existence anymore. You see, let me read another verse that, that we do commonly hear. You see, this is Jesus speaking in Luke eleven forty two. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. 
these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. You see, uh, that verse is commonly quoted in churches because what they say is, oh, well, here's Jesus talking about the tithe. He clearly honors the practice of tithing. Therefore, you should tithe too. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but that's not an accurate view of this verse. That's not the way that this verse should be used. He's talking, Jesus in this passage is talking to people who were under the Jewish law. And yes, absolutely, they should be tithing according to the Jewish law. But he's, but this verse is not saying that, that we are legally required to tithe you know, as Christians, that's just that's just a stretch too far. That's not an appropriate use of this verse. So my only real point in bringing that up is, is you know, don't say, oh, well, look at 11, uh, Luke 11, 42. Jesus said everybody should tithe. No, he didn't. What Jesus said is that Jews should obey the Jewish law. But this was before his death and resurrection. So the whole removal of the Jewish law, that whole paradigm that applies to us today as Christians, that wasn't that wasn't in existence yet. So we we come to the question now, you know, should we tithe as Christians? Should we tithe? Because I've told you that if you don't tithe, you're not robbing God. If you don't tithe, you're not going to be cursed and 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 that I've also told you effectively there is no legal requirement for you to tithe and and let me just say that 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 is going to run crossways with the teachings of a vast majority of churches out there but but I can also tell you that that my entire working life I've tithed I tithe off the gross uh, I I frequently get paid by wire transfer. I'm a real estate lawyer, and you know at closings the money goes out by wire. So I frequently get paid by wire. It's the most common way for me to get paid. And if I get wired a thousand bucks, you better believe I'm tithing a hundred. Uh, in fact, I like it where the places that I give to have you know online giving because I'll just immediately go straight to to their website. I got a thousand. Boom! Here's your hundred. Now, yes, I, I, I give on top of that, but I have a very disciplined and clear tithing practice that the first that money comes in, 10% goes straight out, straight to the kingdom. So why? Why do I tithe and why do I suggest that you tithe as well? Well, let's just briefly cover some of what we have seen. I want to identify with God as the king of my life. You know, I think one of the most important verses in the Bible, you'd probably agree, is Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. You know, God is the, or excuse me, Jesus is the king of kings and Lord of lords. I, you know, God is my king. And I believe that that is the true essence of the practice of tithing. And so I tithe to to keep God as the king of my life, to fully submit every aspect of my life to God and to demonstrate to him that I am trusting him constantly 
for my provision and for my protection. F furthermore, uh, I am also tithing because of the promises of Malachi chapter three. You see, this is one of the great things about being a Christian. None of the Bible's curses are applicable to us, but all of the blessings are applicable to us. Now, now, with respect to your life with God, there are certain seeds that produce certain harvest. And maybe I'll talk about that next time because the whole concept of seed time and harvest that, you know, that's like the second biggest concept when you're thinking about uh, your money and, and God next to tithing is seed time and harvest. So I think we should probably talk about that next time. But my point is that I sow the seed of the tithe and I do, in fact, reap these harvests, these Malachi three harvests, the windows of heaven open over my life, pouring me out a blessing. There's not room enough to receive the devourer being rebuked for my sake. No, I, uh, I am a witness and a testimony of the reality of these scriptures in my life. And yes, I know that there are a variety of other scriptures that provide for my protection. They provide for my provision. They provide for God's grace in my life, totally independent of the tithe. And praise God for that. But what I'm saying is, is that when I go through the word of God and I see blessings associated with the tithe as a Christian tither, those are mine. And, and that is another reason why I tithe. Let me give you an additional reason why I tithe. This also, this idea is presented in Malachi 3. But again, there's no curse. There's no robbing God. Parsing the word of God with New Testament Christian eyes can, can be a little difficult to separate what is applicable to Christians and what is not. But, you know, to keep it simple, the good news is, is, you know, the blessings all belong to us and the promises, this is all the promises are yea and amen to us. That's, uh, I believe that's 1 Corinthians 2.20. I'm checking real quick. Well, that's not what it is. Let's see, where is it? 2 Corinthians. Ah, well, who knows? We'll find it next time. All the promises of God are yes and amen to us in Christ. That is the key. So, uh, but look back in Malachi 3 and notice God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. That's uh, that verse about the promises is 2 Corinthians 1.20. Sorry about that. So that there may be food in my house. You see, one of the reasons that I tithe is because I'm seeking the kingdom of God. And, and one of the ways that I seek the kingdom of God is I bring money into the house of God. You know, just, just as an example, you know, Grace Family Church, if you look at the list of ministries that they support, it's a, it's a long list. And I love the fact that when I give to my local church, that, that that money is used for the kingdom of God in so many ways. But I don't just give to grace. I give directly to uh, to Andrew Womack, for example. That's a teaching ministry that has significantly impacted my life. I give directly to Bill Winston Ministries. I give directly to Ashley and Carly Terres. 
I give directly to Schools for Haiti, where I'm heavily involved. You see, you see, regardless of where you think the tithe should specifically go, and I'm not going to address that today. We've talked long enough, to be honest with you. But I want to bring my tithe into the house of God, into the kingdom of God, so that the kingdom of God's works in the earth can go forward. And and I think that that is a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. It is my joy. It is my joy and my honor. And yes, I fully understand that what I'm giving God was his to start with. And of his own, do I give back to him. But it's a joyful practice. And you see, I am left with this concept, okay, that that I don't have to tithe, but I get to tithe. I don't have to do it, but I want to do it. I love to do it. And I am seeing the manifestation of the biblical promises associated with tithing. God does protect me. God does provide for me. God does has opened the windows of heaven open over my life. And I joyfully tithe and I will continue to do so. And I see no reason to ever stop doing that. So look, I, I think as we as we wrap it up now, you could probably agree that, you know, if if you're not a tither and you listen to this and you want to remain in that position, uh, you can do that, right? You're, no one's going to hell because they didn't tithe. No one's cursed. God's not looking up there and saying, oh, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. No, I don't think so. Uh, however, if you are thinking about tithing or if you are a tither, you can look and, and see the things that we've gone through today and you could say, wow, you know, praise God, this adds a little to my understanding because I'm already seeking the kingdom of God. I do already identify that God is the king of my life or identify God as the king of my life. And I'm and I'm glad that my tithing, uh, you know, further contributes to that paradigm in my life, to that to that honoring of God as the king of my life. So, you know, as I was telling my friend the other day, you know, I'm not a Malachi three tither. I'm not a Jewish law tither. I'm a Genesis 14 tither because God is my king. He is my shield. He is my exceedingly great reward and it is my honor to bring the tithe into his house. And, uh, and, and, and I will end with this. I, I actually do truly believe, I believe that there are blessings associated with the tithe that, that even go beyond what we've discussed here today. And I, I fully believe, you know, what my dad has often taught. If we had any idea, we would run to tithe. And so uh, anyway, if you ever want to talk about this more, you think I've gotten anything wrong, you think I missed some key verses, uh, I uh, would be thrilled to talk about it. And I'm always open to, to being corrected from the Word of God. And I'm always excited to learn more if you have anything else that you'd like to share with me. Thank you for taking this time with me. Uh, I love you. God bless you. And we will talk again soon.